Augmented reveals the stories behind a new era of industrial operations where technology will restore the agility of frontline workers. In episode 81 of the Augmented podcast, the topic is From Predictive to Diagnostic Manufacturing Augmentation. And we are here with returning guest none other than Roy Schilkrot, lead scientist at Tulip. In this conversation, we're diving further into machine learning in manufacturing and the emerging applications therein. And we discuss the future impact of machine learning uh, in manufacturing built into the manufacturing execution system. Augmented is a podcast for industry leaders and for operators, hosted by futurists Trond Arne Unheim, presented by Tulip, the frontline operations platform. Each episode dives into a contemporary topic of concern across the industry. Augmented, industrial conversations that matter. Roy, good to see you again. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, no, I'm I'm thrilled because, you know, we were going to go straight into the matter here, operational data augmenting industrial processes. What do you see happening in that space? So operational data, first of all, what does that mean to you? That's a good question. It's excellent because operational data is very diverse. It depends on the level where you capture it, the sensors and the means of capturing, where do you store it, and the structure of the data. In manufacturing, there's so many kinds of different data that you could capture, starting from images and videos of people making things all the way to security videos. And on the other extreme end could be IoT data that you collect from different devices connected to a augmented workstation. And it could be wearable devices that the operators are wearing that also generate data. Machines running generate more data. And even work instructions and documents and things that are stored in the back end can be considered as data. So manufacturing data is, in fact, very, very wide, diverse. And I think that the convergence of all this data is, uh, is what's going to drive us to the future, basically, of, of using AI. So then that brings me to a question of what can be accomplished now? And if you can go into some examples that is actually happening now, and do we need to wait for certain things to happen, either industry-wide or just in terms of gaining more experience with working with these sort of diverse data sets? So let's take the first thing you know, today. What is it that machine learning is doing in manufacturing today? Right now, what you can think about machine learning or advanced data analytics as sort of a tiered pursuit. At the very low end, you have descriptive analytics, which they most resemble statistics that you can get from different data points. Uh, you can look at averages and certain you know, medians and, and moving averages and some sort of window-based on time series understanding. The next level uh, you have is uh, predictive. That would be forecasting or some sort of detection of anomalies based on the signals that you are getting. So from the statistics, you can say if something is out of the norm, that would be predictive. That would say be saying that I think something is starting to get out of the norm and I predict or I foresee that in the future there'll be, there'll be a problem here. That's the predictive part. The prescriptive part, the next level, will essentially turn it over and using the data and the predictions will be able to tell you what you need to do to fix things uh, ahead of time 
or could tell you a story about your data more than just give you some numeric output of whether this has a, an average of this and that or whether this is an anomaly. There is another level that uh, is now starting to be discussed, and that's the diagnostic level, diagnostic analysis. And that's basically taking those signals and being able to diagnose a, a deep problem somewhere in your pipeline. When you ask about what's, what's being done today, I think a lot of the work is still in the descriptive and the predictive stages. This means that we are very good in creating dashboards, analytics, and visualizing them to humans that then perform the decisions. The predictive part is the same deal. We can take those signals and put them in some sort of predictor or classifier, something that you could get a little bit more insight from the machine. If it's a very highly complex data, it's better than humans in understanding whether there's anomalies or they can do it in a faster way. They can take a look at 1,000 or 10,000 different signals coming from your factory and being able to tell you if something is wrong. But however, those are still not replacing the human mind, the human brain uh, that perceives the operation. The manufacturing operation is something that's holistic. That would be the next phase. I have yet haven't seen uh, very good examples of uh, prescriptive analytics and something that really takes it to the story level and providing people on the factory floor with machine-generated insights to possible and existing problems that they that they should address right now. It's mostly in the level of dashboards and alerts and those levels. So Roy, what is it that is between today and tomorrow? Is it more machine learning PhDs or is it more experience running these models? Is it integrating with companies? So, you know, is it on the automation side or on the augmentation side? You know, where, where are the blockages, you could say, the barriers to getting to this diagnostic and holistic future? I think like every person that you will ask in this scene will give you a, their perspective and a different answer. I have my own beliefs and I believe in data convergence. I believe that right now we are not using enough the connection between different data that we could collect about one one sort of operation that we're doing it's very siloed it's collected on different systems it's collected by different people and they don't necessarily talk to each other and those systems are not necessarily integrated so a more integrated system a more of a platform you could say that gathers data from many different means in many different means you can use cameras you can use sensors real time high speed you know 1000 hertz uh, sensors or even microphones, and also event-based data from things happening on the shop floor, like someone using a barcode scanner. When we put all of those into one big pile and mix together, this is what's going to drive us forward. That's going to create a much more of a holistic point of view for algorithms to learn from. This is my personal point of view. But okay, so if that's the case, though, what is it that brings us forward towards that quest? Is it just simply time, like we get more experience, or does there have to be decisions made in some sort of standards body, or, or is it clever, clever products that just on their own become these platforms? What, what should people be looking for? You know, for example, if you are on a factory or run a factory of the future or want to, what is it that they should be preparing for? I believe that the future on the floor will be much more integrative. It will bring an integration of many, many different systems. And there is a need right now for an integration mechanism, something to bring these different systems together. Uh, 
That is missing in many, many factories. You would find that the data people don't know the industrial engineering people and the manufacturing engineering people. They are sort of separate functions. The operations people are different from the data people. And there needs to be an integration on on every level, on the systems that they use, on the data that they capture. And is that a management challenge or a data challenge or motivation? Sort of, They haven't been incented to, to talk to each other, essentially. Manufacturing operations are very complex, and you need, you need different people to do different things. Uh, there's no question there. So there's not enough common tools for people to use that will bring their language together, right? Because the language of a manufacturing engineer or a, a line supervisor is very, very different than that of someone in operation management that they're looking at Excel sheets all day and trying to reason about their operation. If there was a tool that could bring these people together, that would be that. But the tools are just one thing. You mentioned standardization in standardization organizations. Almost none of the data that is collected from a shop floor is standardized in any way. In every different operations is almost completely different. Every shop floor and even every plant and every and every line, they create their own ways, their own means of collecting and analyzing their data, which is not very good if you want to encourage people to sort of do research on that data, because it's every time you have to get into a different data world. So I'm curious, you know, you personally, right? So you have studied at the Media Lab, which is already an applied way of looking at design and technology. Yet, when you came to manufacturing, you, you seem to be saying, you know, there, it is a lot more complex than one assumes. I'm just curious, for you, what were some of the biggest surprises when you started really digging into manufacturing as compared to, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe I'm paraphrasing your background, but you certainly had some more algorithmic and computer science background, and then obviously you have deepened and deepened your understanding of the floor. W- what were some of the things that hit you the first? Were there methods that you had in your head that would work in a perfect IT world that didn't work on the floor? I think that first coming to the floor, not just one, visiting a lot of factories, speaking to a lot of manufacturing people and spending time with them on the floor, I realized that manufacturing is inherently chaotic. It's not complex in a way that it's it's a complicated thing because the operations themselves are considered not very complicated. They're broken down to things that are relatively simple. It's not complex, but there's not much more of a way than I can say except chaotic. If you go to a shop floor, it seems like there is almost no order. There's people running around doing things. They all know what they need to do. It's kind of like a beehive or kind of like an anthill. Everyone is running around and doing exactly what they need to do, and they have their marching orders, and they know exactly what needs to happen, but it kind of looks like a big mess. And coming from a more scientific background and looking at that, I said, there's absolutely nothing that we can do here. It's such a big mess. We can't control all of the parameters. And scientific thinking is all about parameter control. It's all about isolating parameters, which you could affect. Uh, You lock everything down, except for one thing, you run an experiment to know what is the cause and effect between something that you do and the response from that parameter that is changing that variable, right? I thought, 
there's almost nothing we can do here. It's such a big mess. But then you're starting to break down and zoom in and look at one single workstation and one single person on the line performing a certain action. And you can sort of disregard or try to lock out or lock down many of the variables that could happen and look at that one particular operation and start thinking about what are the variables and what are the things that you could change. So I did find a lot of um, opportunity to perform hardcore science on the shop floor. And there still is much more to resolve. Going from that very zoomed in position, it's starting to piece together individual pieces. So it's starting from one station to two stations, three stations, a full line, looking at the beginning and end of that line, look at the interaction of that line with supply chain, the interaction of that line with the subsequent lines or, or sister lines that are in the same plant and so on. It's trying to grow it from that position. What are some of the actual machine learning methods that you think are going to be most useful in this more futuristic idea where you, like you said, you have deeply, deeply gone into these shop floor interactions and you're starting to understand and lock down some of these things that you, the way you, the parameters, the way you, you framed it. What are some of the more useful machine learning or perhaps even sort of AI based methods that you think are the most fruitful as we you know, move into coming years. Right. I'll quote the famous saying, to a person with a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? And I am very much biased towards computer vision, video analysis, video camera, image analysis, and image processing. So I think that computer vision will be monumental. It will be central to understanding what's going on on shop floors, not just on the station level, but also on the plant level hooking into camera sensor grids, essentially looking at dozens of cameras that are able to track and understand not just one what person is doing, but a big group of people, what are they doing and, and, and starting to make sense of flow and interchange between different areas in the factory and trying to trying to optimize that. Has any of that been done, just on the vision thing, has any of that been scientifically done like where is it in terms of like product implementation? Is it very early days for vision products on the shop floor? Well, there is traditional machine vision uh, that has been in use for decades, and that is mostly for high volume lines where the products are being manufactured at a rate of more than ten or more than twenty products per minute means it's on the seconds level where something comes off the line. That is traditional machine vision where you have uh, conveyor belts moving fast, you have fast cameras, synchronized cameras, scanning those products and, and making some decisions about them. That has been going on for a few decades. I think that the next wave of computer vision where you can definitely see some players in this area is going to be about humans and about larger scale vision understanding. So tracking more than one thing, tracking more than one person, more than one station, more than one machine, it's starting to understand on a broader level what's going on on the floor. There are definitely companies that provide some of these services, but they are still very much zoomed in and focused on individual workstations. And they're also very much focused on that descriptive statistics analysis using the signals from those cameras. It's about giving you statistics and then letting you the blind manager try to figure out how to optimize your operation. Got it. 
I was curious about what might be coming in terms of what Tulip is doing in this field and what what the biggest challenges have have been there. But I, I guess they're they're linked to what you're talking about. But can you can you talk a little bit about the long-term vision for vision, for example, within a tulip uh, sphere, are you yeah. trying to do exactly what you're saying there? You're trying to go from individual workstations to looking at factory-level data with vision. Is that feasible within within a short-ish time frame? And are there people requesting that, or or do you think it's simply once you offer it as a product, this will be immediately attractive? Well, we are hoping that it will be immediately attractive, but we do know, we have heard from several of our clients and prospective clients, people coming in and, and looking at the demos of our of our product, they're definitely interested in looking at things beyond the certain station. They're looking at the movement of people and the movement of equipment, the movement of materials through their floor, which means that it's moving from one end from the warehouse into the factory floor and back outside for shipment or back into the warehouse. Those sort of large-scale movements are definitely requested, and they would require us to look at more than one camera more than a few cameras uh, working together to piece together this puzzle and creating those signals, visualizing them in a way that makes sense for someone to to try to understand. So Tulip is definitely on track. We're not only adding more types of cameras, more types of camera connectivity, like looking at network cameras and cameras um, that don't require a very big computer next to them. So you can really drop them at anywhere you want in the factory. We're looking at synchronizing those cameras and bringing all of those data points together to a single location. I talked about how integration of data will be the next step. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring them in, all of the signals together to a place where we could run those higher level algorithmic methods. All of that is is coming to Tulip. We're going to start with a few very transformative steps. Uh, The first step will be the ability to execute uh, machine learning models on the edge and not in the cloud, running in real time object detection people detection, action recognition on the edge in real time. That's one very important step. The other step is continuous monitoring where the cameras connected would be continuously working, detecting and extracting data, extracting signals uh, from the shop floor. And, and, And taking all those continuous signals and using time series analysis to understand if there's anything that's going wrong so we can alert the people So it's taking what machine monitoring, uh, there's a very big industry that uh, works on machine monitoring to monitor what's going on with these big expensive machines. It's taking the same approach toward monitoring the big expensive machine, which is humans on the shop floor. I think that's where we're going. That's fascinating. So lastly, then, can you comment very specifically on this issue of sort of going from machine monitoring and you know so automation really and monitoring automation to monitoring people this idea of augmentation is by some people almost viewed as a step back because you're sort of saying well you know we can't have that scale until we fully understand what's going on is augmentation like that am i right augmentation is almost like a step back and and why is it so important to take that step back and understand the sort of the semantics of what's going on The way I view augmentation, I view it very much from the perspective of human augmentation. 
And when I think about augmentation in operations, in frontline operations, I see that as tools that could help the operators and help the line managers on the floor to be more reactive, to be able to do just-in-time tweaking, optimization, and understanding. That's the way I view augmentation. And I definitely don't see that as a, as a step back. I see it as something that will add and, and propel our ability to run much more lean operations, lean frontline operations. It would mean that new products that we are trying to make or new lines or new processes that we're implementing on the floor could be optimized much, much faster. Where right now you set up a line and you take on a few months of work to balance that line and to train your people and so on. I believe that that could be cut down with those newer tools by using computer vision, using IoT, using uh, high-frequency sensing. You could cut that down to days or weeks. That would be the transformation. Yeah, the only reason I mentioned uh, you know, a step back was that in some accounts of robotics, you know, the ideal is always, you know, can a robot do all these things? So from that perspective, yeah. that line of thinking might say, hey, we should have revised the entire manufacturing production so that it favors robots and everything robots can do. And then after, if there's any residual, all right, fine, we'll help the people. You seem yeah. to be saying the opposite. Manufacturing is about the people, and then you're augmenting the people and teams with technologies in the middle of it. Yeah. But robotics seem to almost like take an opposite approach is how much can we automate and then whatever residual versus you seem to be saying, how can we empower the humans? And then as part of empowering that human, there's obviously yeah. an automation step, you know, here and an automation step there. I just, it's, it's fascinating yeah. how the approaches are quite different depending on where you start from. I mean, <laughs> meeting some people that are the herders of robots on the floor and seeing <laughs> A, a whole lot of different robots do different things on the floor and asking them about their job and asking them about what they do. I I think that there is kind of like a fundamental sort of misunderstanding here. In general, people think about robots and automation and they think it's going to replace all kind of human work. And it's going, to me, it makes no sense just by understanding a little bit of robotics and understanding the people who have to implement them on a shop floor. It makes no sense. Robots are incredibly expensive just by setting them up. The setup time and the professional work that's needed to set them up properly so that they're actually effective is even more expensive. To a degree where I think it, in many, many, many cases of manufacturing, it's simply impossible. It simply does not mean any sort of business sense to use robotics. So I, I think that manufacturing will still be driven by humans for decades, if not centuries to come, because there will always be someone that needs to set up the robot and sort of teach it what to do, even to the point where we have very sophisticated robots, that kind of humanoid robots that are able to do everything that a human does. They will still need the herders and they will still need the craftspeople to show them what to do and to herd them. So for me, automation is very important. We still need to make a, a very big push towards automation on the shop floor, but not in way of replacing the humans, but in way of augmenting the humans. So if humans are doing operations that are unnecessary, or they could be automated, we should be looking at automation. If a human is doing one step, step number one, and then step number two, but then you understand that you can do step one and two together, that is a form of automation that we should adopt. And there's plenty of opportunities to find those things and, and be able to uh, point at them to, to people running the line. 
Roy, thank you so much. It's a fascinating world and you are such an expert on it. I, I really enjoy getting a deeper understanding. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, John. Happy to help. You have just listened to episode 81 of the Augmented Podcast with hosts Trun Arne Unheim. The topic was from predictive to diagnostic manufacturing augmentation. And our guest was Roy Schilkrot, the lead scientist at Tulip. In this conversation, we talked about building machine learning into industrial tech. And my takeaway is that industrial tech is not what it used to be and will never again be a bulky, inflexible instrument. Because we are entering an age with immediate feedback and rapid adjustments and a combination of human and machine monitoring. Diagnostic manufacturing is in fact quite different from a time when we had to wait until the product was in an owner's hand to see what might be wrong with it. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at augmentedpodcast.co or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you liked this episode, you might also like episode 29, The Automated Microfactory, episode 22, Friedman's Factory, What is No Code? or episode 19, Machine Learning in Manufacturing. And you can get to all these episodes by simply uh, pasting in the episode number after the URL. Augmented. Industrial conversations that matter.